the university with their email yesterday and with this talk of this being a surrender really want to suggest that this is over. We took this decision because it's really the clearest path towards a contract, which is our main goal right now. Hi, I'm Grace Houck, and today I sat down with Graduate Students United member Grant McDonald to talk about GSU's decision yesterday to withdraw its petition from the National Labor Relations Board. Yeah, so my name is Grant McDonald, and I'm a um, graduate student, fourth year, in the Department of Geophysical Sciences. And what do you study in Geophysical Sciences? I study climate change and the Antarctic ice sheet. I'm, I'm particularly interested in lakes that form, meltwater lakes that form on the Antarctic ice sheet. And how did you get involved with GSU? Um, I mostly got involved with GSU last year when the petition campaign was going on. It just, I just got, I'd missed a lot of it because I'd been Antarctica, and I came back and I was approached by someone who was organising in our department, and it was kind of a no-brainer for me to get involved. I was very excited, keen. Yesterday was a big day for GSU. Can you tell listeners why? Yeah, so yeah, yesterday we withdrew our petition to unionize with the N under the NLRB process. But I just want to make very clear that GSU is still a union. We're continuing with unionization. We are ready to bargain for a contract, and we just want to do that outside the NLRB process now. And why is that? Why have you changed your mind in that front? So given the situation, this is the clearest, most direct path we feel towards getting a contract. Which and is, the situation being, as you've mentioned in some of the GSU blog posts, is that during Trump's administration, he's actually appointed two new members to the National Labor Relations Board. Right. So I think actually uh, yesterday, Trump's second pick was confirmed to the Labor Board, which means it's now a majority Republican Labor Board, a majority anti-worker board. And the university are determined to work with that board to deny graduate workers at private institutions across the country their rights as workers. Um, and when you say the, the university is determined to deny workers their rights, um, I think what you're referring to is that the university basically asking them to um, overturn a decision in 2016, the Columbia case. Can you explain what that is to listeners? So the university um, challenged the decision by the regional director of the NLRB to grant us at Chicago an election. And the university um, want to use our case to overturn the Columbia decision you referred to in 2016. So the Columbia decision ruled that um, graduate students at Columbia University, um, graduate workers at Columbia University are employees, which gives you the right to unionize and all the protections of, as workers that come with that. But that decision, um, that was like a precedent, so it stood for uh, graduate workers at private institutions across the whole country, which is why we could unionize through, through the NLRB process. Now that the NLRB has gone from a, a majority Democrat board to a majority Republican board, would mean that if they ruled against us, which they definitely would, it, it wouldn't only affect us in Chicago, it would, it would stand for graduate students across the whole country. Which is why I believe you made this decision along with Yale University as well as Boston College, who also withdrew their petitions. Yes, Yale have done it, Boston have done it, and we expect more will be doing it. What did that communication look like amongst different graduate unions at different universities? 
I think everyone is really just focusing on their own campus. I mean, we're here to um, stand up for graduate workers at University of Chicago, and we decided that for us this is the best decision, but we, we have to think about the national context too. But fundamentally for us at University of Chicago, withdrawing the petition is the most direct path mm -hmm. towards a contract. So in the national context, if the thinking is that by withdrawing now, it prevents the NLRB from overruling this 2016 case. Are there any other outstanding petitions from other universities right now that could potentially be used to do the same thing? Uh, yeah, there are some outstanding petitions, but um, as I understand, ours um, was the most, uh, we had, there was the most urgency around our mm -hmm. case. Um, Why is we, that? We expected that the NLRB, as soon as Trump's pick was um, confirmed this week, that they could take up our case any time. It could have happened yesterday. Mm. It could have happened today. It was. It, we had to make a, a decision. We uh, mentioned in our reporting that you had a meeting yesterday and you voted to make this decision. Can you tell me what that process looked like? We had a, a meeting at, on Monday um, at our um, OCDO, which is an open meeting to all members. Was that an easy decision to come to, or there, were there people who wanted to retain the petition? Under different circumstances, we might have... I would say, given the circumstances, it was an easy decision. It was? Okay. Yeah. And about how many people were at that meeting? I'm not sure. There, there were a lot of people at the meeting. It was a very well-attended meeting. Have you already established um, union leadership at this point? No. Um, within GSU, no. We're in that process now, so... Just as before this decision on Monday, we've been working towards getting the university to the table, and that continues the same. So we were in the process, we ratified a constitution um, just last week. We have a bargaining survey out, and we're in the process over the coming weeks and months of electing officers. Mm. Um, so, so that the electing officers part is not done yet, but that will continue. Could you tell us a little bit more about the specifics of that bargain survey? It's... Um, it's a survey that takes relatively long for a survey to fill in, and it's just, it covers a whole range of a lot of things like healthcare, working conditions, anything that, and there's and there's room for people to bring in anything that they want. Um, what are the most pressing issues to you? I would say healthcare, um, dental care, <laughs> but um, or lack thereof, um, but also just. Recognition. So you think the best way to move forward now is to work directly with the university. What do you think that communication is going to look like? We're making clear to the university that we're ready to bargain for a contract. We submitted our intent to bargain last Friday. That still stands. We don't, we're not doing an NLRB process, but we are still determined to meet the university at the table. They know, they know that we're ready anytime. Um, and the university might want to ignore us. That's really not an option. In an email sent out yesterday, Provost Dierermeyer said that regardless of this decision by the AFT and AAUP, the union election outcome last October indicated that a large number of graduate students believe that the university should do more to support them. I unequivocally agree, and we will start this process immediately. 
I have asked Executive Vice Provost Daniel Nirenberg to convene graduate students, faculty, and staff who will help identify ways to improve graduate student life at the university, including determining short-term and long-term objectives. Such direct engagement with students was not possible under the law while the union petition was in effect. This process reaffirms our community's shared commitment to providing an exceptional environment for graduate students. David and the team at UChicago Grad will be communicating again on these topics in the coming weeks. Undoubtedly, the AFT's and AAUP's withdrawal of the union petition will be disappointing to many students and members of our community. I nevertheless hope that all will join in these renewed efforts to achieve our shared goals. The many contributions that graduate students make are critical to the entire university, and we seek and welcome your involvement as we work together to improve the support our community offers for students' aspirations, education, and quality of life. So as far as this panel um, that they would convene, have you been contacted about that at all? Not as far as I understand. That, that is the university, as, as I understand, trying to ignore mm. GSU. I mean, the university's lawyer, um, I, think it's, I think his name is Paul Salvatore, he described this yesterday as a surrender. Grant is referring to a comment from lawyer Paul Salvatore, who called the move a surrender in Politico's morning shift today. Their position now, as before, is that they want to ignore us, and I'll just reiterate, that's not an option for them. We graduate workers here perform essential work at the university. What role do you play? You mentioned some of the, the studies that you conduct uh, regarding ice, regarding Antarctica and the Geophysical Sciences Department. So I've been both an RA and a TA at the University of Chicago. Um, I was a TA in my first year. I taught global warming, which maybe you've done. Uh, I know. <laughs> Many of my friends have, yes. Yeah, I know it's a very big course, uh, and I've done natural hazards. And then the, I've been on a fellowship, so I've been an RA for a while, and I'll go back to being a TA because I didn't finish my PhD <laughs> before my <laughs> end of my fellowship. We want a contract that um, supports the vital work we perform in classrooms and in labs across the university. So are you describing some sort of strike or some sort of... No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. GSU will, will have a lot of discussions. We've already been having discussions before. This doesn't really... I mean, fundamentally, this doesn't change anything because the university... We're, with, we're refusing to bargain with us before we withdrew from the NLRB process. They're refusing right now. The path towards a contract is fundamentally the same. So I'm just, I'm wondering, you keep using this phrase, like bring them to the table or come to the table. What does that actually look like going forward? I don't think I can really say it. I mean, certainly there'll be more rallies. Um, we're very strong in this campus, and we, we need to show that. Um, I mean, the main thing is having conversations with members. Mm. That's, that's what the day-to-day -day of this union is. It's, it's not you know, rallies or these big displays. It's just talking to members in our departments. You know, I go by offices. Um, I, I, I meet up with people in, in GSI and we have people all around campus doing that. The university, with their email yesterday and with this talk of this being surrender, really want to suggest that this is over. The university acknowledged that um, graduate students on campus are, feel that they deserve better treatment, and we absolutely agree with them on that. 
And that's why they should work with us. We, we represent the graduate workers on this campus. This way of seeking a contract outside the NLRB process is not like on some... On, this, this happens. This is a normal thing that unions do, um, both, both graduate workers and, and any kind of union. Uh, NYU, for example, has a contract, um, and that was, that was a, a private agreement. Have you spoken with um, representatives from NYU's unions in any way? I'm just, I'm just wondering how this communication network is operating. We are, we are talking to our friends at, at other universities. For those of you who are still with us, I wanted to ask Grant a few more questions about his time in Antarctica, because I've actually never met someone who's lived in Antarctica before. Yeah, the 24-hour pizza is great. I ate pizza, too much pizza when I was in Antarctica. They, they have meal times, um, morning, lunch, dinner, and then another midnight one for the people who work night shifts. But in case you know you don't, you're going to miss those meal times, they have some things that are just there all the time. And one of those things is pizza. Um, they're just constantly putting out fresh pizza how and also many, ice cream. How many people are, are on that base? You say it's pretty cushy. Yeah, there's about 800 people in the summer and a couple of hundred in the winter. Um, so it's the biggest base in the whole continent. Is that all indoors mostly? Is that um, so? It's it's kind of looks like an oil town or like a um, sorry a mining town. You do have to go outside to go between buildings, which is not the, at some other bases. Everything's contained uh, at McMurdo. You do have to go outside, but yeah, you just have a series of buildings. There's like a big main building which has the dining hall and some some residential areas. Then you have dorms. So I was in, in these dorms, I was actually sharing in a room with my advisor, which was interesting. And they have gym, labs, um, and then a lot of like workshop rooms and stuff where they make equipment and hold equipment. And how long were you there for each time? I was there seven weeks the first time, and then a month, and then another month over a course of like two years. Wow. Is it, is it difficult to be there for that long? I really enjoyed it. Um, it can be difficult, you know, you miss... I miss my girlfriend and my family. McMurdo's in a really cool area too. It's when Captain Scott, the old British explorer, um, went to race tr to try and be the first person at the South Pole. That's actually where he was, where he was. So one of his huts is basically in the base. The base includes the hill, which we call Ob Hill, where where his team would go and look out from to come back. So it's a really historical place. Now I'd read his diaries and stuff, and you, every day I'm looking at all these places that he would talk about. How many other bases are there? I don't know, but there's there's tens. Um, the I think the U.S. has three bases. Okay. To be at McMurdo, you have to be through the U.S. program. So there are some non-Americans like myself, um, but everyone there is through a U.S. scientific project. And where are you from originally? I'm from Newcastle in England. You expect that at a base like that, most people are scientists, but that's actually not true. The, the scientists are... A relatively small proportion because the science down there takes needs so much support that most people at the base are, are just there to like run the base and to give support so you have you know chefs and everything and then you have like helicopter pilots and uh, carpenters who put together these big field camps and all sorts of people. So from here we're currently sitting in South Lounge in Reynolds in Chicago Illinois how long would it take you to get to the base? 
So I left from Chicago, so I took a flight to um, L.A., and then a flight from L.A. to Sydney, and then Sydney to Christchurch, and then you have to spend a couple of days in Christchurch. Where, where is Christchurch? Oh, sorry, New Zealand. Okay. Um, you have to spend a couple of days there getting, they give you all your clothes and everything. You have orientation, you have to be there at least two days before. And then you take a U.S. military flight from Christchurch to the base, which, depending on the kind of plane you take, takes about five hours or eight hours. So it's one of these planes where you sit along the side. It's the same planes they use to like deploy troops in Iraq and stuff. So that's quite an experience, too. <laughs> and when you get there, you were talking a bit about working with ice. What does that mean on the day-to-day -day for you when you're working on the base? We would normally take snowmobiles every morning from the base, and we would drive on these snowmobiles across sea ice and then onto the ice shelf, which is what we were working on. So an ice shelf, sea ice is um, ice that's quite thin that forms just year to year, whereas what we were on, working on was an ice shelf, which is ice that's actually flowed off the ice sheet. Mm. And so it's like really old ice and much thicker. And why is that of interest to you? Ice uh, shelves form right around the Antarctic continent. They cover, they bound more than half the continent, and they act as like a buttressing force on that ice sheet. They like hold up the ice that's on the continent. So if an ice sheet, if an ice shelf collapses, um, that can cause the ice that's on the continent to speed up, and, that, and therefore it flows into the ocean more quickly, and then you get sea level rise. In 2002, an ice shelf, a very big one, um, called Lawson Bay on the Antarctic Peninsula, collapsed very suddenly. So we are researching the processes that uh, can cause collapse, and especially how climate change might cause those collapse events to happen more frequently. There was recently um, a piece that broke off like the size of Rhode Island, something like yeah. that? Yeah, so that was the Lawson Sea ice shelf, which neighbours that other one I just mentioned. The relationship between that and climate change is kind of complicated, because some of these things are just natural and will happen anyway. We, we particularly look at lakes, and the, the Lawson Bay ice shelf that collapsed, we think collapsed because there were a lot of lakes formed on it, um, meltwater lakes, and these lakes have a gravitational effect on on the ice shelf. They, they, they're like they're pressing heavy. down on it. Yeah, they're heavy. They're causing it to flex, like bend. And this can cause um, fractures, cracks. And if those fra fractures and cracks intersect, they can cause like chunks to, to break off. And so the conclusion would be that the lakes formed because of climate change? So um, you might have some lakes anyway, um, but as climate change um, increases the temperatures, we expect more of those lakes to form and for that to become play a much bigger role in the stability of the Antarctic ice sheet and therefore in sea level rise.